0: The first reading for this, the sixth Sunday of Easter, comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the 16th chapter. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas... We made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And this is the word of the Lord Christ has risen from the dead. He has given him dominion over the works of his hands. He has put all things under his feet. The epistle reading comes from the Revelation of St. John, the 21st chapter. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many mass shootings have there been just in this last week? How many have died from COVID? How low has the stock market dipped? How many people have died in the Ukraine or at the hands of terrorists or rebel militants? How much corruption and waste and hypocrisy have you seen from your national, state, and even local government? How many times have you felt just awful about the state of the world and wondered if things will ever get better. Well, in our reading today, Jesus says, Take heart, I have overcome the world. So now everything's fine, right? I mean, now you feel great about the world. You have no more stress and all your bills have disappeared. You can plan to go home and read the headline that all the wars have ended, COVID magically disappeared, and rainbows, the good kind, are spontaneously spewing forth from the exhaust pipes of all cars. Everyone is breaking out into song and well choreographed dance together, and there are no more weeds in your garden or fields. For Jesus has overcome the world, and now we have nothing more to worry about. We wish, right? Amid all the suffering and sorrow, the ongoing corruption and sin that surrounds us, do these words of Jesus kind of seem to ring hollow? He says that he has overcome the world, but it sure feels like the wicked world is winning. It's been almost 2,000 years now since Jesus ascended into heaven, and we still haven't seen anything close to peace and joy and perfection. If anything... It seems like things are just getting worse and worse and worse. Well, maybe that's because we aren't looking at the first part of this reading well enough. I mean, Jesus doesn't just say that we should take heart because he's overcome the world. He also says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask! And you will receive that your joy may be full. So maybe the problem lies with us. Maybe Jesus has truly overcome the world, and we just aren't doing our part to make that a reality. Maybe we need to ask for more stuff. Maybe we need to get proactive and quit sitting back and letting the bad stuff happen. It kind of sounds like Jesus has given us a blank check here, so let's get busy filling it in so he can give us what we want. Ask for an end to the wickedness of our culture. Ask for world peace. Ask for cheaper gas. Ask for a private jet and a stadium full of adoring fans who will willingly give you tons of money. Name it and claim it. Live your best life now, as many popular preachers proclaim. The problem is, when we think along those lines, we are doing what we do far too often. We are twisting God's word. We are taking it out of context. We are ignoring what Jesus says later because we don't care for the sound of the rest of it. In the same breath that Jesus says, ask and you will receive, he also says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But didn't he just promise us that if we ask for stuff, he'd give it? And wouldn't we naturally ask for an end to tribulation, suffering and distress? So which is it? Will Jesus give us what we ask for or will we have tribulation? The answer, of course, is yes. We will suffer in this world because this world is broken. This world is corrupted by sin, and so there will always be hatred and war and pain and death. There will always be things that disappoint us, things that distress us, things that make us want to scream. Thanks to sin, death and destruction, sorrow and pain are an everyday part of this world. But thanks to grace, Jesus has overcome the world. So that what we ask of the Father in Jesus' name... He gives, so that our joy may be full. But what is our joy? Well, it's not in this world, because that's not going to ask. If we are asking for joy in earthly trinkets and doodads, Jesus doesn't promise us that we're going to receive those, because those don't bring complete joy.
1: They bring disappointment.
0: They're temporary joy at best. In fact, oftentimes, they bring more sorrow and suffering. As we greedily pile up riches, we covet more. We don't appreciate what we have. We plot and we scheme to increase our stash of stuff. Jesus is not telling us that he's a magical vending machine. Insert one prayer, receive gift. He doesn't promise us whatever our heart desires, because our heart desires terrible things. We are not to just ask of God for toys and health and riches and fame and earthly happiness. Yes, God provides those things. And yes, we give thanks to God for every one of those gifts that he graciously grants us. And yes, we are to come to him with all of our earthly needs in prayer. But that's not what we truly need from Jesus. And not what we are called to ask of God in Jesus' name. Our full joy, it does not lie in this world. It lies in the eternal paradise of heaven. And while God graciously provides clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that we have to both the righteous and the wicked, the true measure of God, the true joy, the eternal treasure is received only by those who look in faith. the cross and empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, he's not merely a bread king who's come to make our bellies full and our wallets fat. His kingdom is not of this world, and his riches are far, far greater than anything that this world has to offer. He doesn't come just to give us trinkets and temporary peace, because we can get that anywhere. He came to do the one thing that nobody else could. The one thing that we truly, desperately needed to fulfill God's holy law perfectly in our place. He came to stand in our place and suffer all the wrath of God that we as sinners deserve. He came to die for our guilt so that we could be cleansed and forgiven by His holy blood. Jesus Christ, true God Himself, humbled himself to be born into our flesh, to face all the same temptations and sorrows and pains that we ourselves face, and to give his eternal life as a perfect sacrifice in our place so that our eternal guilt could be taken away. Only through his suffering and death and resurrection can our joy be full, and can we receive anything good from the hand of God Almighty. This Is how Jesus has overcome the world. He's not promising that it's going to be great for everyone. Because think about what happened as he said this to the disciples. He's speaking to them just very shortly before he is crucified. It doesn't look like Jesus has overcome in the eyes of the world. In fact, the cross looks like the world totally and completely overcame Jesus. But in his sacrificial death, In his willing substitution to be the propitiation of your sin, Jesus overcame the world and all the forces of evil. He did not just die and rise again to give us a slightly better time in this world. The sinful world seeks to destroy us, to drag us down to hell, to substitute the full joy of heaven with cheap thrills that don't last and always leave us wanting more. Jesus gives us not just a temporary smile on our face, but the eternal joy of heaven. And he does this by taking away all of our guilt, by paying our penalty in full. In our Revelation readings the last few weeks, we have been shown glimpses of how great heaven will be. Gates of pearl, streets of gold, God himself residing with his people. We've seen the multitude of saints singing with angels and archangels gathered around God's heavenly throne and basking in his glory and mercy and love. It all sounds unbelievably wonderful. And as we see those images, we really, really want to be there. But then that last sentence of today's reading hits us. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. And as someone who is unclean, as someone who has done plenty of false and downright detestable things, that hurts. Because I realize I'm not getting in. I'm on the outside, seeing all the glory and wonder and joy of heaven, but that will never be mine because of my sin, my filth, my wretchedness. And if I'm responsible for cleaning myself up, if I'm responsible for getting myself in, then yes, I am lost. My righteousness isn't good enough. And neither is yours. And neither is anyone else in this world. We are by nature sinful and unclean. Sin isn't just something outside of us that wants to ruin our joy. Sin is within us. Sin is our nature. Sin is who we are. And sin doesn't get into heaven. And so we need a Savior. We need someone who can change us completely. Who can remove the sin from us and make us pure and righteous and holy. We need Jesus Christ and only Jesus. Because he has not only overcome the world around us. He has overcome the sin within us so that our joy may truly be full and so that we may have not just hope but the absolute assurance of eternal life in that perfect paradise of heaven. When the world overtakes us, when we lie down in the sleep of death, even then we will not fear because we know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that he has given us eternal victory. We know that he has overcome the world. We know that he has opened the gates of heaven to those who believe and has written our names in the Lamb's book of life. We know that he has died for us. He has risen from death for us. He has ascended into heaven for us. And he will come again to take us to be with him forever. This is the fullness of our joy and how we can have peace even in times of tribulation the joy of Jesus, it's not just something that we'll get to enjoy sometime way off in the future. Even now, even in the midst of crisis and suffering, we have peace and joy in the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ. We're not magically protected from suffering. In fact, Jesus flat out promises that we will have tribulation and sorrow and sadness in this world. But while others panic, Because the world is falling apart, we tell them about heaven, which will never end. (coughs) Amid all the uncertainty and chaos in this world, we are held fast by the anchor of God's never-changing word. As sin and depravity rise up and seek to destroy the lives of so many, we stand firm in God's ways, knowing that he has conquered and has given us the eternal victory not in riches that never run out, not in a fake smile as we pretend everything's okay when it clearly is not. In the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ, we take heart, seeing how he has overcome the world. In his cross and empty tomb, we have peace, even amid the tribulations of this world. In the cross and empty tomb of Jesus, our joy is complete, certain, and eternal. For by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.